You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. The Curiosity rover has just marked five years on Mars. Back in August the 5th, 2012, it was the first successful use of the Skycrane method of delivering a heavy one-tonne payload to the surface of Mars. That method had never been done before. Previously, the other rovers had been wrapped up in airbags, and then those airbags had inflated on the way down to the surface, and then they'd bounced along before coming to a halt and then the airbags were deflated and pulled out of the way and then the rover drove off a platform. It was really quite a convoluted process. The Skycrane method, like a sort of a a jet-powered helicopter really above the lander, as it got close to the surface, fired its rockets and then lowered the, the, uh, the rover with its wheels and everything all out and ready to roll down to the surface and then when it detected that contact had been made with it between the wheels and the surface of Mars, the cables were cut and the, the sky crane flew off and crash landed safely, you know, 500 metres or so away. And actually one of the first photos they got when they first started receiving photos from the surface from Curiosity was showing something in the distance, which was the, the sky crane where it had crashed. So, so really mm. quite, quite, quite lucky to see that. The other thing they did, which was also really amazing, was that Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which has got a very, very powerful high-res telescope, can, can view things down to less than a metre on the surface of Mars from orbit. It was actually able to photograph the Curiosity lander from orbit as it was, as it was parachuting down before the Skycrane manoeuvre, which, you know, think about it as a pretty amazing thing. This yeah. thing's just belting in on a ballistic trajectory pretty much from Earth and is actually being photographed with its parachute inflated on its way down to Gale Crater. And Gale Crater was named after an Australian astronomer, funnily enough. The whole purpose of the Curiosity rover was to look for or to study habitability, to find out where the conditions in the past would have made it possible for life to develop. And one of the first things they did find was the right chemistry was there to support the, the possibility the potential for living microbes they found carbon hydrogen oxygen phosphorus and sulfur all key ingredients necessary for life and these were found in by studying many rocks in gale crater that formed in water the other thing that they found was organic carbon in mars rocks these are the building blocks of life Curiosity found them by analysing powdered rock samples. So it has an onboard laboratory and a drill, and it's able to drill down into the surface of rocks and then take a sample of, of the, the powder that's, that comes out, which unlike the red surface, which is that sort of iconic colour of the red planet, just below the surface is actually grey powder. So once you get away from the oxidising right. uh, and the effect of ultraviolet light and that very thin atmosphere, then uh, it, it's grey powder underneath. They took samples of that, put it into their own little onboard lab, and they were able to find that uh, those basic organic molecules, uh, which are the building blocks of life, were in those powdered rock samples. They also looked at uh, present and active methane in Mars' atmosphere, and they detected a background level of atmospheric methane and observed a tenfold increase in methane over a two-month period. This has been observed before, and it's, it's, you know, the suggestion is that maybe there's some kind of microbes below the surface that are doing some kind of process like uh, chemosynthesis or something like that, and the byproduct of that is methane, which is released on a sort of periodic basis. Mm. Now, that hasn't been proved. What they do think, though, is if they're going to find microbes on Mars, they will be below the surface. It's a very harsh, you know, lots of ultraviolet radiation from the sun 
cosmic radiation. There's very little atmosphere. It's a hundredth of the uh, surface pressure as on Earth. So there's not much to protect you if you're on the Mm. surface. But if you might be inside a rock or under a rock, it could be a different story. They also found that radiation could pose a serious health risk for humans if if they want to try to live on Mars. On the way, the Curiosity rover actually measured radiation on the uh, the cruise to Mars. They found that the radiation was uh, would have exceeded the career limit that's recommended for astronauts. One suggestion is that they actually would encase with their water supply, which they'd have to take with them. Mm-hmm. Water is a very good shield against radiation, yep. so they'd put the outer ring of the uh, of the human habitation area of the spacecraft would be water yeah, to right. protect the astronauts. They definitely found that there was a thicker atmosphere and more water in Mars past. They also found in Gale Crater evidence of an ancient stream bed and you've, there are actually photos on the website. That's mars.nasa.gov MSL. That's Mars Science Laboratory where you can see photos which show a clear shoreline. Hmm. And this is ancient. This is three billion years ago. Now, Tony Hayes is in the studio rather quietly listening. Tony, what do you think about the chances of finding life on Mars? It's very exciting, but I think it's going to be extraordinarily primitive and extremely deeper underground. But, you know, life seems to occur in the most unlikely places on Earth. And it's very likely that Mars had life in, in days gone by. Certainly there's evidence, good evidence for running water on the surface mm. in the olden times. Mm. That That is the precursor for life. And it's very likely that some form of life st- still exists. Mm. It's going to be pretty uh, difficult to find it, though, isn't it? Very difficult to mm. find. But, 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 yeah, the smoking gun is there, a bit of methane, mm. bit of signs of previous water, but it's a very inhospitable place. It's not the place you want to go for a, a weekend, is it? Well... I suppose it depends what, what you, you know, if, I suppose if you lived in the desert to start with, maybe if you lived in the outback Australia, you might be quite at home there. I, I would have thought to find life on Mars, given that it's it's probably microbial and below the surface, it's sort of an argument for uh, sending humans there because it's, it's very hard to do that with a robot. I mean, just to have the flexibility and the ability to sort of respond to your environment. I mean, the robots are getting better and better and the, and, and the Mars Curiosity rover is a, is a very sophisticated vehicle, but... Uh, I get the feeling that you might need people to be able to really get to do the necessary digging and possibly even going down into caves or, you know, well below ground level might require humans to find life if it's there. Yes, and the ability to think and decide and, Mm. you know, thinking beyond the square, as they say. Mm. Just to wrap up, it's 50 years since the Voyager spacecraft were launched back in 1977. And, of course, Voyager 2 did the grand tour of the solar system going past Jupiter, Saturn, and then Uranus and Neptune. Voyager 1 only visited uh, Jupiter and Saturn, and then it went off into interstellar space. And it's actually left the solar system. It's Mm. beyond the heliosphere in true interstellar space. And I believe Voyager 2 is is going to be crossing that boundary fairly soon. But they're both sending data back still. They're nuclear-powered and they're both apparently in contact with Earth every day. The actual instruments and stuff are fairly basic. The computers on board. I think the cutoff for the technology was 1972. Uh, they were launched in 1977, but by the time they had to commit to computers and stuff in 1972, so they were pretty basic mm. computers, much less powerful than a smartphone of today, and yet they've managed to navigate, they've managed to visit 
all of the outer planets, one of them did, Voyager 2, and they're still going and actually sending back information about that boundary between the, um, the influence of the sun and true interstellar space. So incredibly successful missions. And there is a, a doco on SBS uh, catch-up television called Farthest, which is about those Voyager missions. I recommend you have a look at it. Tony? And I think the information comes into camera. In, yeah, into the radio the, telescope in Australia. That's right. I think it's the, the only one that is in contact with. Right, uh, the Deep Space right. Network. Thanks for listening. And head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media. We welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows. <laughs>